Welcome to the Real Clear Defense Podcast Hot Wash. I'm John Sorensen. I'm joined today by Real Clear Defense contributor John Waters. John, good to talk to you. Hi, John. Good to be here. Although the 2022 National Defense Authorization Act, the comprehensive bill outlining priorities and budgets for the military, passed with bipartisan support and $25 billion more than the White House requested, the Defense Appropriations Bill is stalled, trapped in the larger partisan fights over spending. Some members of Congress are proposing an unprecedented year-long continuing resolution for the military. What would be the impact on defense? Is there a way through the impasse? To find out, we are joined by retired Marine Major General Arnold Punaro, CEO at the Punaro Group, a firm specializing in federal budget and market analysis. He was previously the chairman of the National Defense Industrial Association, a member of the Reserve Forces Policy Board, director of national security affairs for Senator Sam Nunn, as well as staff director of the Senate Armed Services Committee. Before rising to Major General, he served as an infantry platoon commander in Vietnam, where he was awarded the Bronze Star for Valor and the Purple Heart. General Punaro, welcome to Hot Wash. Happy to be here. So the NDA passed, but now we are currently in a continuing resolution, and some members of Congress are talking about it lasting as much as a year for a three-quarters of a trillion dollar budget. Uh, That is potentially a huge deal. What would that mean for the military? What happened and why? Well, John and John, you can't spin words, and that's what's in the NDAA. And so we've got to have the funding to go along with this wide bipartisan support that we had in the Congress for $25 billion more than was in the administration budget request. So if you take the Biden administration's request for fiscal year 22, There were $11 billion over the level in fiscal year 21. This is important when we're talking about a continuing resolution. So the total increase was $36 billion. So that's really what the Pentagon is missing out on right now, but Congress failed again for about the 20th year in a row to pass the appropriation bills on 1 October, which is their constitutional responsibility. So we've been stuck now since 1 October in a spending level for defense, for national security. And let me emphasize uh, to your very astute listeners, this doesn't just cover the Department of Defense. This covers the Department of Energy nuclear weapons programs at a time when Russia and China are modernizing their nuclear forces at a very fast clip. It covers all the intelligence agencies, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the National Security Agency, Uh, the U.S. Cyber Command, the U.S. Space Command. It even covers the Central Intelligence Agency because their funding comes through the Pentagon's appropriation. Uh, And so we are losing right now in purchasing power for our national security and have been since 1 October, 5 to $6 billion a month. And this is a combination of the inability to access the law that the President Biden just signed as well as the impact, internal impacts of inflation on the FY21 spending level, which is higher than was budgeted when they when that bill was passed. So right now we're in probably the worst situation I've seen in the 50 years that I've been doing this, as you mentioned, serving in the military for 35 years, serving in the United States Senate for 24 years. I've been in industry now, you know, for many decades. Uh, served in chairs on many commissions and, and, and analytical, and I've never I've never been more worried because we have a situation today where China's on the march, 
Russia's on the ri- Russia's on the move, and inflation's on the rise. You've you've got Russia poised on the Ukrainian border with over a hundred thousand troops. You've got China poised on the Taiwan Straits and and ready to go into Taiwan at a moment's notice. And we just saw the new inflation numbers, which are even higher than the ones I used when I calculated that five to six billion dollar figure. With this, with the defense budget that that President Biden signed. Now again, I'm talking about a level of defense spending signed by the current president, passed in both bodies by a wide bipartisan margin, seven hundred and ninety billion dollars. Six percent inflation is a forty billion dollar hit. Three percent is a twenty billion dollar hit. Right now, we're running at 7%. So that's the kind of hit we're taking internally, not to mention the inability to basically accelerate the Pacific Defense Initiatives, which is designed to counter China, the increases in in building hypersonic weapons, quantum, 5G, all of the important technologies. Um, It is the worst situation I've seen, again, in the 50 years I've been doing this. And the reason I'm worried about a year-long CR is the body politic is about as broken and as intransigent as we've ever seen it. Uh, they are much more worried about who's going to take over, who's going to be in charge, than they are about our national security. One of the most astute observers of the Congress, um, Nam Orenstein, who's watched it for years, now refers to Congress as the broken branch. I would say bullseye. If he was shooting on the range, John Waters, down at Quantico on the rifle range, He'd be hitting in the bullseye every single time when you talk about Congress as the broken branch. He may not have any rounds to go to the rifle range with a year-long CR, though, General. You, you got that right. I mean, no, listen, that because, the, because right now the Pentagon is looking at the fast spending accounts because, frankly, research and development money and procurement money is good for three to five years, but O&M and personnel for one year. So when they're having to take these internal hits, they testified at the, the congressional hearing yesterday that it's really beginning to have an impact on military readiness. If we if we have a year-long CR, the hit, as I identified, is going to be about $76 billion, which is worse than the worst year of this sequester, which was FY13. That was $70 billion. But that was at a time, again, a very different time for the external threat. Again, China on the march, Russia on the move, inflation on the rise. We could not have three worse situations affecting our national security right now. So unfortunately, um, John, that is the kind of adverse situation we're looking at right now. So talk about that in terms of uh, in practical terms. I mean, obviously, it puts back some of the, you know, long time frame programs like uh, new nuclear submarines, the Ohio class, the sixth generation of F-35, the nuclear modernization. You know, none of those are, are things that are even going to get completed in in 2022. But what about kind of in terms of day-to-day operations? What does it mean for uh, your average commander in terms of what he or she can uh, can spend? Well, the average commander, unfortunately, has gotten used to a continuing resolution in the first quarter of the government fiscal year, which would be October, November, and December in any year. That's Q1 for the government fiscal year, which starts on 1 October. That's Q4 for our industry. Now, unfortunately, the CR is running into right now through February 18th, which means we're now in Q2 of the government fiscal year and we're in Q1 of industry's fiscal year. So what's happened is because they don't know how much money they're going to have and they don't know when they're going to get additional funds, if they get even get additional funds, they've been husbanding that money. And so they've slowed down, you know, flying time, steaming time for ships 
tank training miles, things like that. So pilots are not flying as much as they should. Uh, they're not going to the rifle range as much as they should. All of those things affect day-to-day -day readiness. And at the same time, of course, they're dealing with COVID. And as you know, both of you know, and, and I had the privilege of commanding the 4th Marine Division, and I was responsible for wartime readiness every day, you measure four things. One, you measure the number of people you have, and are they qualified in their military specialty? So they, you, you have to have the right number, but they also have to be qualified. Is your unit qualified in its what's called its mission essential task list, meaning is it trained to do the missions that it would get assigned? And then you've got to have the equipment has to be ready. It has to have it on hand and it has to be ready. Then you have to have metal and dental readiness. When you're in a CR, you're not fixing the equipment because the money's not there. You're not training like you should do. So the readiness is going down each and every day at a time when we should be sending a strong signal of deterrence to Russia on the Ukraine border and China on the Taiwan border. So the practical effect is the longer this drags out, the worse it gets for the local day-to-day -day commander. Because it, I hate to tell you, as you all know in this business, it all rolls downhill because the Office of Management and Budget does apportions the money to each of the military departments. When they're in a CR, because they don't know how long it's going to last, they don't give the full appropriation, even at last year's level. Then it gets in there and, and all the levels kind of take a little slice of the pie. So by the time it gets to the the day-to-day -day commander, the rifle team, you know, leader, the the second lieutenant platoon commander, uh, that that young Air Force captain that's flying his fighter jet for the first time, they're not getting the level of training and support. They don't have the equipment as ready as it needs to be. The 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 medical and dental readiness can't be as up to speed as it needs to be. But and and as as the former chief of staff of the Air Force said, uh, General Goldfein about the sequester. They lost the, the wartime readiness in that first year, FY13, that $76 billion, $70 billion hit. It took them five years to get their readiness back to the level that they lost in FY13. That's unfortunately the situation that we are in today. And if we end up with that full year CR, as I basically am worried about, it's going to be worse than what General Goldfein experienced in fiscal 13. And the service, the service chiefs had some strong words about this uh, just yesterday. I think Marine Corps Commandant David Berger was quoted as saying, the train wreck in front of us. Uh, but he said it's entirely preventable. How is it preventable? Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I'm so glad the Commandant put that issue on the table. Here's the way I describe it. The appropriation committees that is always operated in the defense committees, both the authorizers and the appropriators, in a bipartisan fashion. If they left it to the defense committees, they would fix this in a heartbeat. But the problem is all the decisions are made at the leadership level, the Pelosi, McCarthy, McConnell, Schumer level. These are the four leaders that basically will decide whether or not we have a year-long CR or we fix the problem. And right now, I would say to you, those four leaders are playing Russian roulette with our national security. And if they pull the trigger and allow a full year CR, the only thing that's going to get wounded or killed is going to be ourselves. And so those are the people, those are the four people that will, John, that will decide one way or the other uh, whether or not we end up in this, this very disastrous situation, as our commandant indicated. And frankly, uh, it's all about politics. It, the, the calculation uh, that's being made is 
does a does gridlock help people in the mid year or not? And so it's very very unfortunate. It's it's what that's why I say I've been doing this for fifty years and I've never seen it as bad as it is today. We we are in total budget chaos. We we have the we're we're operating the entire government at last year's level, particularly our national security, at a time when the threat is worse than we've ever seen it, uh, even at the peak of the Cold War. Um, we don't have access to the bipartisan increases for national security. The Congress voted on and the president signed into law. And the FY23 budget is going to be delayed three or four months because they haven't finished FY22. So DOD doesn't even know how to put the FY23 budget together. OMB has not given them what's called the passback. Your listeners, again, very astute, very smart. They know what the passback is. That's where OMB tells DOD, here's your top line, but here's your inflation number. When you're working with $790 billion, one, two, three, or 4% of inflation is a huge deal in terms of your purchasing power. And so, and but seven, I, eight, nine is a really, really yeah. big deal. Yeah. And so, John Waters, I would say the four leaders, this is on their shoulders. This, this is on their head. They have the ability to fix it by just snapping a finger and telling the appropriators, go do your thing. What's going to have to happen is a deal where Defense will go up a couple more percent from what the president signed, roughly from 5% growth to about 8%. Domestic discretionary, the president asked for plus 16% compared to FY21. They're going to have to probably bring that down to plus 8%. So you'd have an even Stephen deal on discretionary spending. That's a deal that could be had in a heartbeat if the four leaders would give them the kind of blessing to go do their thing. In general, you've got a book that kind of dovetails with this, The Ever-Shrinking Fighting Force right. that came out. Last year, you've got a series of interesting recommendations for how to improve our nation's fighting force. One of those is put the nation's fiscal house in order. Uh, how big of a problem is this on that ranked list? Of, of John, John, this is a huge problem. My dad, who fought uh, a 1938 graduate of the Citadel, fought with Patton's Army in World War II, a uh, great American, uh, small businessman in my hometown of Macon, Georgia, was very astute. Two things he told me as I was growing up and two things he would remind me of all the years I work in the United States Senate. When it came to spending, he would say, son, when your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. And that's where we are right now in the deficit. The other thing he was telling me about in the late 70s and the 80s, because he knew I worked for Senator Nunn, he knew I was involved on the Armed Services Committee and everything was about Russia. He said, son, you better pay attention to China. China basically wants to take over the world and they don't mind waiting a thousand years to do it. I said, Dad, where the heck did you think of that? Um, and actually, I'd just been to China with Senator Nunn because Carter asked him to go over and meet with Deng Xiaoping. Um, and John Glenn and John McCain were on the trip with us. And my dad's roommate at the Citadel was a, a Chinese American, a great young man. And he learned a lot about China from him. And he, this, this, his roommate talked to him about what he thought China's long-term ambitions were. And guess what? If you look at what China's public statements are, they don't mince any words. They basically have told us unequivocally. So we've got to get our deficit under control and we've got to do what we need to do to keep China. Uh, right now, they're on the march politically, economically, militarily, and regrettably technologically. They have beat us technologically in a couple of key areas that are very important not just to our economy, but to our military. And so um, we're in a very, very precarious situation. But if we, don't, if we don't start getting control of the deficit, it's going to squeeze all discretionary spending. 
And by the way, the only reason it hadn't hit yet is because interest rates have been so low. So, you know, right in, in the early 60s, 75% of all federal spending was discretionary. It meant that decision makers could make a decision in the fiscal year they were in. What are the priorities? Where are we going to put that money? Today, 75% is on autopilot. The mandatory entitlement spending and interest on the debt make up 75%. So you only get to deal with 25%. They're arguing over 25% of a $4 trillion budget. Now, break, break. Since COVID in March of 2020, to show you how much money has been put in the economy before you get to build back better, uh, and we generally, like I said, it's usually about $4 trillion a year, of which $1 trillion is discretionary, and the other $3 trillion is the mandatory spending, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, railroad retirement, civil service retirement, military retirement, all those programs. We've put close to $8 trillion in the economy since COVID of additional spending. So we, we've, we've, you know, we've in, a, in, in the space of a year and a half, you know, added, you know, uh, much more than we spend in discretionary spending in, in five or six years. So uh, the deficit is, and people say, well, why does deficit matters? I say it's like rust on a bridge, steel bridge. You don't know when that bridge is no longer going to be able to carry its weight because rust is going to eat the inside. So the deficits are eating the insides of our economy and eating the insides of our country right now. And as Mike Mullen said uh, years ago, it's the number one national security problem. It's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to say, but I would put China in the deficit at the top of the pyramid of what we need to be concerned about. And frankly, the dithering that the Congress is doing now is not dealing with either one of those problems. Looking back to Congress uh, once more, General, I'm going to ask for two courses of action. What do you forecast is the most likely course of action through the next several months? What's your most hope for course of action? The hope is not a course of action. What's your most hope for course of action? Well, I mean, obviously, I think we need to have full year appropriation bills, an omnibus appropriation bill for defense and for discretionary spending on the domestic side that we've had every other year when they've cut the deal on spending. And it's going to have to be parity with domestic discretionary and defense. The domestic civil agencies are very important but they don't have any capital budgets. Most of their budgets are operations and personnel. And if you gave them an 8% increase in February, at the end of February, if they cut the deal then, they could barely spend that between now and 1 October. DOD can, could, could handle an 8% increase in their budget because they put it in procurement and R&D, which you have three to five years to spend. So they can they could handle that. So that's that would be the best outcome. And then, you know, you basically run the government the way the run, government is supposed to be run. And these the, the domestic agencies, Homeland Security is very important when we live in a dangerous world. Health and human services, when we're dealing with a pandemic, uh, you know, these are very important agencies. The State Department, diplomacy is is very important. Um, that, that would be what I would say would be the best case. Uh, I think we have to be prepared for the worst case. I've never seen people who, who who basically in the past have supported a strong national defense that are putting partisan politics above a strong national defense. Mackenzie Eaglin, who at, from the American Enterprise Institute at a conference a, la- a week ago, uh, and she comes off kind of the Republican side, said that, and I'm quoting her, I'm not, Arnold Panaro is not saying this, but Mackenzie is one of the most astute of observers and experts on budget, along with Tard Harrison at CSIS, McKenzie says she thinks the Republican Party is moving away from a strong national defense. And frankly, 
some of the people that are advocating for a year-long CR and keeping what they call the Trump budgets in place, which is the FY21 budget. That's a Trump budget. Keeping that in place are coming from that side of the House. So to me, uh, right now, I actually unfortunately think that's the most likely case. Um, I'm hoping cooler hails will prevail. And we're hoping from an industry standpoint and from a good government standpoint, uh, things like this will get people to basically call their members of Congress and put pressure on the Congress to do the right thing. Certainly the hearing yesterday from the military, uh, I mean, seriously, we mean right now, if you're Russia and China, uh, uh, you know, are we deterring them by we can't even pass a budget? I mean, and, and we think we're going to keep Russia from invading Ukraine when we can't even pass a defense budget. What's the longest that we've had a continuing resolution for defense? Well, defense has never, ever had a year-long continuing resolution. There's no precedent. There's no history. They don't know how to do it. Even Mike McCord, the Undersecretary of Defense Comptroller, who's one of the best they've ever had, most professional, just totally knows what he's doing. Arnold, we don't know how to deal with a year-long CR. We don't, we've never had to do it before. I, I think that sequestration is probably the closest thing, but it's not quite it's not quite the same. Well, actually, they knew they knew what they had to do in sequestration. They had a 10 percent across the board cut in every program, project and activity. That's not the way a year long CR is going to run. Hmm. I think they've had one that's gone about six months, but that's about the worst. And so uh, and Congress gave them what's called anomalies. Hey, we, we've leveled you flat, but we've given you a little flexibility. There are no anomalies in the current CR. No one knows how to write anomalies for a year-long CR for defense. I mean, again, you're talking about intelligence. You're talking about all the combatant commands. Uh, you're talking about the bread and butter, butter of our ability to protect our citizens at home and abroad. You're talking about the National Guard being able to fight fires and hurricanes and floods. So this is not, this is not an inconsequential issue. And again, We've gotten used to, and people have you know, gotten used to CRs in the first quarter of the fiscal year, but here we are in Q2 with the possibility that we're going to go into Q3 and Q4, and it's very alarming. Well, it sounds like the long and short of it is this is not going to get solved in committee. It's, it's really ultimately up to the leadership, and hopefully they were listening to that testimony on the Hill. Uh, I think we're going to have to end it there for now. Uh, General Panaro, thank you so much for joining us on Hot Wash. I hope you come back and talk to us again. I would very much look forward to it. And I really, really appreciate you all, John and John, giving me this opportunity because this is such so important for a strong national defense at a time when we need to deter Russia and China. Thank you very much for joining us. And thanks to our listeners. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. I hope you'll follow us throughout the year. The plan is to release new episodes of Hot Wash every other week. So subscribe to make sure you don't miss anything. In the show notes, you can find a link to sign up to receive the Morning Recon, our daily newsletter summary of defense news. For John Waters, editor David Craig, and everyone here at Real Clear Defense's Hot Wash, I'm John Sorensen.